Hey folks, what are the Redneck Country Podcast? This is Todd, and I am on with the real redneck, the almost guy, Mr. Bill Tom. Bill, are you there? I am here. Good evening. Another great day for a podcast. It is another great day for a podcast. It's actually a good day for a podcast because it's a little bit chillier outside now, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I've got uh, the warm clothes on tonight. Open up the house, turn the air conditioning off, and I said, let's uh <laughs> let's put some warm stuff on <laughs> yeah. yeah no doubt summer, summer went away it did so, it did it went down to like 14 degrees or something crazy like that just you just, guys get uh, a bunch of storms over the last 24 48 hours not really we got a little bit of rain but it didn't have any storms why wow, you have some big storms sure did rolled from here uh from the weekend and and, and on i mean it's uh i got a little bit of a leak in my sunroom and uh it was a big leak because of the amount of rain that we got but <laughs> yeah everything else we're pretty fortunate that there was no, no major damage around here trees are all up and standing and and we're happy and healthy so what more can you ask for right yeah no i agree that's awesome we uh and and rain is a good thing <laughs> to, yeah absolutely to, to quote the luke Bryan, if i if i can <laughs> yeah but no no we just had some rain we didn't have any big storms not uh not like a couple weeks ago so that was all right which was good because i helped my father Build his shed slash cottage and nice. Yeah, got that all done. And uh, except for we just got the uh, the cap to go on the roof, so I actually had to put plastic where the two where the peak was and tape it on the roof until that comes in. So it uh, we were prepared for the little bit of rain we got. I'm glad we didn't get a storm. He's happy. He is ecstatic. It's yeah. exactly what he wanted. That's awesome. Hem, hemlock and uh, uh, that was the wood that you guys chose to, to do the, the project. It was. With. It was. We got a buddy that uh, owns a mill and we went down there and he had these massive trees and said, like, do you need something kill dried? And uh, because I got some stuff, but it's a little more money or I've got these giant trees I just cut that's hemlock. And you, I'll cut them for you and you can take them, but you might want to let them dry or at least air dry. They're going to shrink some. And I'm like, you know what? Sure. We're doing like. 12 inch boards with a eight inch with another 12 inch batten leaving eight inches of space so we're giving them four inches of of shrink to a side i don't care they'll shrink on it and if they start to pull screws we'll drive some more because dad wanted it to look rustic so that's what we did and it did it turned out well now that doesn't say it doesn't go without well let's just say anybody neighboring in the neighboring area definitely knew Aside from the screw guns going and that, that that we were working on this, because that's just my family. That's how we roll. It's the yeah. we're together so much that uh, tensions are always high, patience are always thin, and it's just, are you gonna listen to me? And and he's not on to to ch- tell his side, so I get to tell my side. <laughs> yeah. And uh, are are you gonna listen to me? Are you gonna listen to me now? Because I was right the last ten times, and and I know he's gonna be he's gonna go for his walk and listen to this. And goes no, he wasn't. I was right ten times, <laughs> but that's the he's beauty gonna of him not being on. <laughs> well, for sure, he's gonna have to come on and vindicate himself here somehow. But yeah, the, uh, any tools get tossed and uh, people get pushed off the roof, or no, we're all still friends you know at what? the end of it. Yeah, we don't get that mad. It's just the the patience. It's yeah. uh, you know what I mean? It's it, it just arguing. We get arguing, which is, I mean, that's our relationship. It's always been that way. So I kind of, it's a term of endearment. If I didn't care, yeah. I, I, because, because it's my dad and I knew he had this vision is why I care. So I want it done that's right for him. And so if I didn't care, 
I would have just slapped it together. Well, uh, as long as he's happy, you're happy, and he's got a place yes. to, to get away and enjoy it. And I'm anxious to see some pictures and see what it looks oh, like. Oh yeah, I'll fire you some pictures. It did. I actually impressed myself. My wife's cousin, uh, he builds barns for a living. And so he's, he, he owns a construction company. And I mean, he is so successful. They're booked up like January comes by February. They're booked for the year. So a, he's my advice and my advisory board, <laughs> but B, I, I would fire him. I'm like, Hey, I'm brushing up my resume. You ever need somebody? And I'm fired it off. He's like, Hey, that looks pretty good. I'm like, dude, I impressed myself. Let me tell you something. The fact that me and dad knocked this thing out. I was impressed. Like we built trusses and then it was, it happened over father's day weekend and the next weekend too, which kind of made it special too. Right. So, sure. so yeah. So it we didn't came. look like something at a, at a Whoville, did it? <laughs> no, cause mom was right there and, and I wouldn't let it. There was a few times we could have cut some corners that I, I backed about, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now we're not going to, we've done this. We're not rushing just to finish it. <laughs> and with the excuse that it's, it's going to look rustic. So you can cut, but we didn't No, it. And it turned out quite well. I was quite impressed. Good deal. And we came through father's yeah. day. So how, how was your father's day? What'd you do? Awesome. We had a great time uh, this weekend. I, I continued on with the uh, boat project. Yeah. And, uh, How'd that yeah, go? So that good. I mean, we're, we're getting to a stage right now. I'm going to start to put things back together. I've got motor off, uh, completely cleaned out inside. Outside is all pressure washed, uh, cleaned up. Uh, transom needs to be replaced. I got some uh, Baltic birch. I'm going to be getting uh, a sheet of half inch Baltic birch and and laminating it together this weekend so I can start to the reassembly process. So Hunter's really taken to it, doing a great job helping out and not complaining one little bit, getting up early, working hard. And that was good, but good. yeah. So yeah, I mean, that was our, that was Saturday. And then Sunday for father's day was an absolute amazing day uh, with the family. They, they treated me to um, uh, a morning at our local archery shop. Oh, so, no doubt. Yeah. So our, our local spot is a Wolf Den Archery, just one road over it. And they have uh, a 3D archery course. They have uh, targets set up so you can you can go and shoot your bow. Uh, they have two uh, bass fishing ponds that are stocked, stocked bass fishing ponds. And uh, you go, you have a picnic lunch if you want to, bring it, bring, bring your lunch with you. And we as a family went out and shot the bows and did some fishing and ate some, you know, you know, snacks and stuff around the fish pond. And it was awesome. Dude, I tell you, it was just I am so jealous. That is so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. That's wicked. Yeah, was, yeah that's, that's, how I, that's how we roll up here. And uh, I'm sure you roll that way down there, too. But it, it was just one of those days that I, I don't need a card. I don't need anything at the uh, we spent time together as a family. We've made some memories. We fished around a pond. It was just an amazing, amazing day. And Candace, uh, the kids treated me like uh, like a king there. In the afternoon, I had a nap. It was great. In the afternoon, <laughs> I had a nap. See, I was not that luxury. I didn't have that luxury. <laughs> Working yeah. on a shed. And, and we went down and seen uh, Jen's folks down at their property. They built a house. And then they got like a little campground that they built along the edge of a creek. So... They wanted to have a barbecue on the fire or, or a cookout on the fire. So we had hamburgs and stuff for lunch and did that and then came home. So it was pretty good. But I got to give a shout out because I got a, a mutual buddy of ours came through for me with one killer Father's Day gift for my dad. 
and it was pumpkin. Oh yeah. Did you see I it on Facebook? That. Yeah, yeah. I saw. Yeah. I seen these, and I don't know how. I just happened to see it. Some. I had the idea. I seen some somewhere, and so I thought, you know what? So Dad's got his trap gun, and he's tried. He's bought another trap gun with all the bells and whistles, and like adjustable comb, adjustable stock, all that jazz. That he's like, I'm too old to deal with this. He shoots a Winchester 101 diamond grade and he's got sister guns. They're like a serial number apart where he's got a, a double barrel for, for doubles. And then he's got the unsingle for singles and handicap and trap shooting. And so he pretty much, he doesn't shoot a lot of doubles. And so he pretty much lives and dies by this 101 unsingle uh, with a big high rib on it. And so I thought, you know, he, he's not going to get another gun in this lifetime. He, he's set on that one. He's tried. And, and didn't, didn't want to do it. Didn't want to have to, he had it for two weeks. Like I, he, maybe he put two rounds through it and was like, I'm done. I, I don't even want to adjust this thing anymore. So I thought it's a great gun. That, that one that he, that's the one that your yeah. wife bought, right? That's right. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so your wife now, and we cut the stock down, we got it all fit for us. So that is that gun. But yeah, he, I mean, he put maybe, maybe two rounds through it and was like, I'm done. I don't even want to bother adjusting it. So he's, he knows where his gun shoots and he shoots it good. So why even bother? That's right. So, yeah. So at that point I thought, okay, he's never going to change again. So I seen this and I thought I gotta, I gotta see if I can get one made. So I got to give a big shout out to our buddy, Mr. Tom Howe. And uh, his business is Tom Howe Cowboy Silversmith because he knocked out a custom for my dad with my dad's initials on it and a clay target breaking in silver and gold and end cap to go on the pistol grip part of his shotgun of his trap gun. So that, beautiful. And, and it was, it turned out better than I thought it could have what, when it's on the gun, it looks so amazing. It just sets that gun off. And so I was, it was so, so pumped, like custom silversmith. Tom is a talented man. So Tom, if you, if you listen to this, thank you. And if anybody wants anything made buckles or anything, Tom, Howe, cowboy silversmith. And that's how H O W E. And he is top show from everything he does. He's a great guy. Excellent to talk to. Super nice, and the work he does is second to none. Well, and that's it. And he's just I a good guy. Yeah, like he's just a good guy all around. You just want to hang yeah. out with Tom. Like he's just a cool yeah. guy. I when I went to get it, I mean, we were there for quite a while, hanging out and talking. <laughs> and so he is just that that guy. I mean, he is just an awesome dude. He's come and shot the the Redneck Country uh, Clinic a couple times, and and yep. come down. He was in the he was in the magazine that uh, that featured us. So. And with That's you, right. with you, there's you, right. you're in him, his picture, but, but yeah, we know him from the rodeo. He is uh, a bull riding judge for the Ram rodeo and was a bull rider at one time. And, and, uh, he's now, he's now hurting and feeling it, but, uh, but he's still a good dude. Oh, he's awesome. Dude. That's right. Good deal. Yeah. No, that looked good. I'm anxious to see that in person. Oh, I, and yeah. your, your dad was happy with that too. Oh, right? like, yeah. Like I just, I can't. And so what the, why I'm so pumped is like I said, he's never going to get rid of that gun, but now I've never sold any of my trap guns that as I've upgraded the gun I have today, Tom's making me one for my gun now, but I'm not going to have my initials put on it. I'm going to have CC, the clay crusher uh, logo put on it, the C's with a target break. And just because I may sell my gun at some point. And so to have my initials on there and, and, and put on and not coming off for somebody else to buy it, they would have to do something with this pistol grip cap on it. And for my dad, he's never going to change. So I thought, this now is going to create an heirloom so that he can hand it down. I can put it on my wall. And that was 
my kids will be able to say that was their grandfather's gun. And uh, I know you've done it with Tom's made you spurs, if I'm not mistaken, so that you can sure did. Yeah, you can pass them down the from the from your bull riding days, and your kids can say this was your grandfather's spurs and uh be able to tell their kids all about it so that was kind of the thought process behind it and it did it turned out just awesome just rock star status so it sounds like uh you had a pretty good father's day too and your dad's pretty happy but it uh it's also good we got a special guest on today don't we we do we got somebody that wants to come on and share some stories they're uh they're a hunter they they are part of their, I'm not going to say too much because I want him to correct me where I'm wrong, but uh, I know him from putting on a big buck outdoor show. Redneck Country went and put a booth up to advertise our trap shooting clinic and advertise our uh, our Hunter Classic and then to sell some hats and hoodies and, and stuff like that. And so that's how I got to know him. He's a really good dude. And I know he's got some awesome stories to share. And so just happened to be talking to him and said, hey, you know, I'd come on that podcast if you guys... Uh, if 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 you would entertain me, I'm and it was probably me more like going, hey Travis, would you come on the podcast <laughs> so you can entertain us? But either way, so yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to bringing them on. Sounds good. It's always good to meet new people. Yeah, so I'll give him a ring right now. Let's get them going. <phone rings> Travis, are you there? Todd, how's it going? It's going, man. It's going. How are you? I'm doing well. Excellent. I, we got Bill on the phone too. Bill, are you there? Yes, uh, Travis. How you doing? Bill Tom here. Good, Bill. How about yourself? Living the dream. Living the dream. Good. Right on. Well, I always start this out whenever we have somebody on that, I, even with Bill, I can never pronounce somebody's name properly. So I, I didn't even attempt it. I just said Travis, but I'm going to say Travis Rudzen. Did I say that right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Pretty close, Rudzan. Rudzan, awesome. Yeah, there you go. You guys got her a lot better than most. I got Rodzan. I got Rudzan. I got uh, I got a whole bunch of different ones, but you got her pretty close. Rudzan. All right. Rudzan. Awesome. All right. Nice to meet you there. Nice to meet you too. So yeah, so we're pretty pumped because we love having other guests on. So it's not just the two of us conflabbing the whole time, and then me going off on massive tangents. And so when you said you'd be willing to come on, I was I was kind of pumped because so it really, if we could start with who is Travis, and I think Bill, you're much better at shaping these conversations than I am. Yes. And, and folks, this is where it is us sitting around a campfire having a conversation. None of this is planned out. We are just off the cuff. So. I think we we should start with who is Travis from an outdoors perspective. And and I know you. I will prelude that by saying I know you because you organize the Rodney Big Buck uh, show and you bring in the the guys from Frau to measure antlers and turkeys and all that fun stuff. And then on top of that, there's booths. And so Redneck Country comes and sets up a booth and you're the full on organizer of that. But who else is, is Travis? Tell us about that. And then who else is Travis? Yeah, so yeah, we've been uh, we've been doing the the Rodney Big Buck and Outdoor Show for about three years now. Um, honestly, started out probably the same conversation we're having now. A few of us just sitting around, uh, just talking, and had the idea and, and kind of ran with it. So uh, I, I'm uh, I'm vice president on the Rodney Agriculture uh, Society, um, and it uh, we were kind of looking for new fundraising ideas, and uh, that was kind of what we what we ran with there. So. Uh, yeah, it's a big fundraiser we have for our local agriculture fair weekend, and 
and yeah, so we, we thought we'd set it up and see how it goes, and we had some good success the first year and second year, and now within the third season here, it's it's been great, and yeah, having uh, people like uh, yourselves there in Redneck Country guys and and Frau and yeah, all these taxidermists and stuff like that, so, um, you know, it's great having it out there. So originally, it uh, started out with Claire Tricky, and she's a wild taxidermy there located at Rodney. We kind of had the idea and a few other members of our board joined up to help plan it and there's there's probably about 10 to 15 of us together to put that event together and and it is successful i i don't know i don't i don't know about dollar values and i don't think we need to get into that but i i consider it successful from the amount of boosts that you have and in the amount of people that come through and like the first year that we came down i had absolute blast i mean i was i was having a riot <laughs> with that booth set up and then having so many people because it's kind of in my backyard to a to an extent that I know a lot of guys so you have a lot of folks you know coming through which was a blast and then I even got to bring my my turkey tail and got it measured and found out that it was somewhat of an Ontario record which I didn't have a clue and so it was it was a good time all around and then we we missed a year and we went back this year and it was it was just as awesome this year I mean I I don't know on your attendance numbers or dollar values but I think from from me being there and watching everything happen and just the simple fact that what I like to push is the build community, it definitely does that. I mean, it was an absolute rocket time. We even have, uh, you guys have a local hero that's a, a close buddy of mine from the shooting world, the trap shooting world of Ray Axford. And I did not yeah. realize how big of a hunting celebrity this dude is. I just happened to message him and say, hey, Ray, we're setting up a booth at the Rodney uh, Big Buck show there. If you want to come hang with us, I got a chair for you. And so lo and behold, he showed up. And, and he came over right over and sat. And I'll tell you what, I don't think that he was, he wasn't able to breathe the whole time. There was every two minutes, somebody new was coming. There was like a lineup just to talk to Ray. And to me, that was successful in itself. Cause you've got a lot of new hunters coming through that knew him that, that he had taken under his wing and then old hunters and then his hunting group that was still out hunting and, and was missing him And be, just because of uh, some arthritis issues and stuff, he couldn't go. And so it was kind of cool just to watch that. And then to see everybody come in with their, their racks and, and their mounts to get measured and stuff. I mean, it was, it's, it, it, it's pretty successful event as far as I'm concerned, aside from dollars that you raise aside yeah, from cool. any of that, like it's, it's pretty cool. It is a, it yeah. a neat experience. Getting the community together is uh, is always a good way to, to promote our sport and what we're doing. And Travis, yourself, you do hunt and fish. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I actually I've only been hunting for oh six or seven years now. Um, just always been interested, outdoors guy. I mean, I love spending time just walking around the bush, checking things out, kind of seeing animals, seeing things interact. So it was kind of natural I was going to get into it eventually. Um, kind of been a learn on my own type of thing just uh just got into it and said i'm gonna i'm gonna try this got uh, got my license started out with uh with a crossbow um had success my my first year hunting you know second second time out i was able to, to harvest a nice young buck um you know and then just that was you got me hooked right um, that'll do it then getting more and more yeah. into it uh, you know you know deer hunting rabbit hunting turkey hunting um, coyote yeah. hunting. Um, I've been uh, occasionally going out for groundhogs for guys on uh, that are causing problems on farms for them. 
No, um, don't. The squirrel. So kind that's of everything just starts. Yeah, that, that's Ground, the Groundhog. I don't know if you ever. I have never. I have never. I'll tell you. I, my father-in-law and when my brother-in-laws. I'm going to go on a tangent. And <laughs> forgive me already, Travis. But my brother-in-law. Works, Travis. Yeah. Just you know. <laughs> hey, we're just sitting around a fire. You got to muzzle me. Yeah. So the um, my brother-in-laws, they're they're quite a bit younger than me, and so we had like almost half my age. So when they were younger. My my father-in-law got the youngest brother-in-law, and I don't know how old he'd have been. He'd have been maybe 12, and so I was in my 20s, and I, we had bows all shooting out. And so he got him, he got the 12-year-old bow and went and did his apprentice huntership thing. And then they decided that there's a couple of farmers that had groundhogs uh, issue problems. And so they, they hey, we could go hunt these things. And I'll, the only story, I've never hunted them. The only story I remember is my little brother-in-law telling me, if it's it's Coleman, if, if you're listening, buddy, <laughs> if you remember this, but they told me he put an arrow right through one and it tried to, and this is so bad, forgive me anybody that this bothers, but this is why I, I don't know if I could do it, but he put an arrow through one and before it had died, it was right, he put it right through the middle, it tried to run back in the hole and it was there hanging over the hole trying to run in, but the arrow was on both sides, which is such a, a bad story, I, I, now that I think about it, I may have to edit that out, but that's one reason I didn't want to go groundhog hunting because, oh, that yeah. poor guy. <laughs> We uh, we used to hunt up in Ottawa Valley for for groundhogs and uh, I I had a Cooey single shot twenty two, um, and that was the the how I got into hunting. To be honest with you, Travis, I'm sure you can you talk to some of the groundhog hunting stories. It makes you a better hunter by learning how to stalk and 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 get into the right position and shoot. And it, groundhog hunting could be a lot of fun, and it helps out your local farmers. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting. It's it's almost unlike any hunting I've ever done. Um, there's, a, I'm going to say there's a lot of forgiveness to it. Um, in my experience, just, uh, you know, you're setting up and I, I used to go out to, a, an old gravel pit that was right next to a customer of mine. It's one of his farms. And, uh, so we go, we go walk around and you see him once in a while running off and, and then we just sit on top of a gravel pile and just, just scout, just look out and you'll see one pop out of a hole. And, uh, you know, back then I, I may not have been the, the sharpest shot cause usually the first shot I would miss. But uh, it don't take long. That that groundhog is nice and curious and then pops back out. So you gotta usually get a second shot if you do miss the first one. And, <laughs> and it's just it's interesting that way. There's they're always running around popping out and and they're just running out the holes and. Yeah, I'm picturing yeah, yeah. whack-a-mole at a fair. I'm sorry, that's all. Yeah. I can, that's all I can picture right now is that. And, and, and honestly, it, 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 sometimes that that's how it is. I've had uh, experiences where I was taking one of my buddies out, and and that day I was I was shooting my 223 because I knew we were shooting a little bit further that day. But he had his uh, his semi-auto Cuyo and uh, or semi-auto out, and uh, so I was letting him shoot quite a bit. Eh? And he was just open sight, so he's he's popping and missing, but. You know, sure, sure enough. Thirty seconds later, that groundhog pops back up to start looking around to see what was going on, and eventually he he did get him. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of it's as close to whack a mole I think as hunting can get. <laughs> yeah. Now I got to do it. Now I'm. I'm yeah, in. it's fun. I tell <laughs> you what, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So and then, and then you uh, you had some success with deer hunting. A lot of people go a lot of years 
Todd, and uh, don't have that that sort of success. I was going to say, I was going to cut him off and go, <laughs> I, I hate you already. Like, that that's just how it is. I went four years when I was younger without even getting a deer in front of me to pull a trigger on. And, and guys like you, Travis, oh, you know, my second time out, I shot a buck and... Then I was hooked, and it's like, shut up. <laughs> but, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, there, I can t- probably tell you a thousand stories of, of unsuccessful hunts, too. But uh, but that year, I, I was very lucky and fortunate to, to be set up right. I mean, uh, I set up my, my uh, tree stand out at my, our, one of our barns and, you know, played big plans to go hunt that a lot and got out there once and, you know, didn't see a whole lot. And then one night on my way back from work, just down on a whim, I'm like, I'm going to go sit here. And I... I just walked out to a spot I thought looked good, kind of a little bit of an open patch of field between two pieces of uh, a bush there, and and sat out there, saw a couple does off in the distance, and then uh, finally saw one one younger buck pop out uh, from across. He's about 200 yards away, and I hit the grunt, and he, about 20 minutes, just meandered, flipping off, eating soybeans, meandered right in front of me. And, uh, you know, just just presented a broadside shot and and that was uh yeah that was a rush and i mean it was a bit of a tracking job uh when i did pull uh pull the trigger on the bow i I noticed he he did take a step forward so i hit a little far back um so kind of being new at it i called up my one of my neighbors there that i grew up with he he was he's hunted his whole life and i said mike what don't you know this guy just shot one what i do he's like just go home sit sit back for two hours we'll go back so we went back and, you know, checked up blood trail right away and uh, took us about three hours to track him down through the whole bush. Man. I mean, this thing was zigzagging the whole way. And there was a ton of blood at first. Like, soybeans were covered, jumped between two trees, went into the bush. It was dripping. And we're both like, okay, this thing's going to be down 10 feet in front of us. And uh, had a really good experience of learning to track deer there with him. Um, you know, there was it was thin out and, you know, literally you know, sticking your fingers in the ground where the hoof prints are, trying to find an angle on, on which way he's turning. And so it was, it was kind of, uh, you know, trial by fire and kind of just thrown into the experience of it. And yeah, we ended up getting him, I almost think dead center of the whole concession. Like it was a haul to get that thing out. But you know what? I was going to say, you learned so much. You, our, our goal as hunters is, is uh, the quickest, cleanest ethical kill that we could possibly have. So it limits the suffering in the animal and to increase the, you know, the, the, um, the meat and, and, and uh, what we have for bounty. But when an experience like that happens, you can learn so much. And, and the best thing you did, you didn't give up. You, you went in doubt, you backed out. You, you learned how to track from the, the, the drops of blood to the angles of the tracks to the, you learned so much. You got three years worth of ten years worth of experience in one year of hunting. That's in one, it's amazing. In, in one week. <laughs> in one a, week. In two yeah. months, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and then three hours of tracking it. I've been there, done that, right? And then when yeah. you find it, oh my gosh! Because after an hour, you're starting to think. Yeah, after half an hour, you're going Second as the blood starts. Oh my gosh! Like it drives me nuts. And then you got another, you're, you're just following like little tiny drops. I got blood over here. And then, oh, for two seconds, you got a big high. And then five minutes later, you realize, oh, crap. Now I lost the blood trip. And oh, at, to find it after three hours, it's just what a relief. 
been there, done that. Yeah. So, yeah. It, uh, it definitely feels like a roller coaster of emotion going through that process, especially being as inexperienced as I was at that and, time. Yeah, first um, deer. One funny thing I forgot to mention, like when it, when I when he called me up, he's like, "Just bring a roll of toilet paper with you." I'm like, "What is he talking about?" That is the best tracking aid I think out there is a roll of toilet paper because as you're walking, every ten feet, put a little piece out. When you start, the blood starts to thin out. You can look back with your flashlight. And you kind of see, okay, maybe this deer is curving this way, or this is a line, and you kind of retrace your steps back. And that that was a cool little trick I I learned right off the get go. Okay. My wife kind of laughed at me once in a while, but she's like, "Why do you always have toilet paper in with your hunting bag?" I'm like, "Well, it's not for the reason you think, but it's for you know if we do have to track one, you got that easy <laughs> yeah. to look back at." We got sleeves for the other, but that yeah. that yeah. you see this this podcast has just paid dividend. Todd, why do you do these podcasts that we always say? It's really just for our own therapy because <laughs> when we're, yeah. whether anybody listens or not, when we're done, it's like, oh, that was kind of fun. That was a good time. But yeah, I've, I, every week is something different. I have just learned, dude, I've been hunting deer for over 20 plus years. My dad taught me I've never used toilet paper and that's genius. We usually will take our hat and like the last spot of blood, when it starts to trickle out, you'll put it on there. And so that we'll know that's the last spot. We're roughly in this direction. But when you've got that toilet paper line, you could see, you could see the angle they're walking on it. You're not trying to vision it. Remember where the last drop was. I just learned something new. That's genius. I like it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I can't take credit for that one, but uh, I, I think that was something somebody, some old hunter um, taught him back in the day too was about that. And it's kind of funny because uh, the next day on that same farm, my dad was out harvesting the soybeans and he kind of was like, called me. He's like, why do you have toilet paper out on these soybeans yeah. in the field? <laughs> so I had to go through the whole explanation of why there, but uh, we had a good laugh about that too. Oh, but yeah, awesome. like any, any age like that, I, I found it great, you know, Again, gaining that experience from other hunters, I think, is one of the important things. And, and one kind of why we all do this is is to just to, to learn from each other is a big important part of it. And and that's been fortunate enough at the Buck Show. I get to talk to, to a lot of people in the industry and a lot of hunters and a lot of new and, and experienced hunters. And just, you know, like you said, sitting around the campfire talking about stories like that, uh, they're entertaining. Um, but they're also really educational. Oh, that's how you learn. That's how we all learn. Yep, Absolutely. I love it. That's awesome. So from from that, was that, that your only uh, harvest, or were you, were you fortunate uh, the next year? Because I know down in your way, you guys got a lot of deer and wildlife that you have opportunity to hunt. I had, had a few since then. Um, you know, I uh, I, I farm uh, as a full time job now, so time is is very critical, and I don't usually get out to too much in the optimal times, but uh, I, I do get out quite a bit. Um, yeah, had had some good success over the years. Um, you know, I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of setup. Um, you know, I do food plots and, and mineral stations. And uh, two years ago, I just got done a ducks unlimited project out on one of our farms. Um, kind of took some some field out of production to put into some trees and some habitat. Um, so I've been able to hunt that quite a bit there too. Um, I got a lot. I got questions. Just been great there. Um, but yeah, like uh, I get I get out for some deer hunting. I've had a few good, uh, few good uh, harvests there. Uh, had a real good buck. I think it was 2015 out uh, on actually the farm I live on now. Um, you know, was out just on a whim. Ended up just sitting at the corner of a gully on the ground, and the wind was shifting on me, and and it was just not good weather. So uh, the wind shifted on me, started blowing my wind into the gully where I was kind of banking on something coming out of. So I ended up. Uh, 
packing up and started walking along the ridge of the gully. And, you know, I'd walk a 50 yard stop, hit a grunt call, um, you know, wait a couple minutes, dude, did that a few times. And then I go to set up on this one spot and man, did I not trip on a log and like face plant right in the dirt. <laughs> you and my dad could hunt and, together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, I kind of dust myself off, stand up and, and into my spot and I hit a grunt. And it was 30 seconds later, this, this buck comes walking down the down uh, through the bottom of the gully. And he must have been following me for a little bit because he wasn't on the main trail. I've, I've seen deer on there before, but comes curving around right into this opening, you know, 25 yards downhill broadside shot. And so I took my opportunity and, uh, and had a real good shot on him, double lung. Um, and he didn't go didn't go 50 yards before he dropped. So that was uh, that was a pretty good rush. And, you know, I was pretty happy to get him, especially after that, uh, well, pretty embarrassing moment of face planting on the ground. It amazes me how many times when things like that happen, deer show up. You know, I've, I've had it where I've dropped arrows out of my, my tree stand, hit every uh, rung of the ladder on the way down, and I get a deer coming in to look to see what the heck that was all about. <laughs> what it's what just, are you saying, Bill? That deer are that curious? The the numpties, the clumsy people can. No wonder Dad shot himself <laughs> some some serious <laughs> amount of deer. And then back when I was just a kid, he was a killer duck hunter, like unbelievable. Every six days a week, and now I know why. Yeah. <laughs> the animals come out to watch. That's it. They're they're interested to see what us crazy humans are doing. <laughs> I think yeah, you know they're, they're definitely curious animals. I mean, like living in the country here, you're always seeing deer out and about, and I, and I do quite a bit of walking around, right? So you, you know, you might pop out uh, out of a out of a trail into the field, and, you, and you'll be staring at a deer, you know, fifty to hundred yards across the field, and you know, as long as you stay relatively still. They're curious. They're looking at you. They're, they're wandering slowly up to you once in a while. If they get wind, if they wind, you know, scoot pretty easily. But they're really serious animals. I've learned, and, and you know, throughout the years of hunting, um, you know, I'm notorious. I, I will just go for a walk, you know, and I'll sit under a tree in a good spot behind a shrub or something like that, just because I think it's going to be a good spot. And, and honestly, not a lot of times it is. There's a lot of times where I don't see a thing, but there's those odd moments where. You know, you're sitting there in the middle of a bush on a tree and then the deer just walk right up to you and they're, you know, 10 feet past you. They don't even see you. Um, so they're, they're, they're curious animals for sure. Yeah, man. We're so far away from deer season and we got to qu- quit talking about deer hunting. Now I'm on getting all in. Well, I'm curious. I, I've got a few questions. I'm not sure how, how deep we want to go tonight, but food plots. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm hold on, Bill. Sorry. Quick Todd, yeah. quick Todd, because you're right. So as a non-farmer, Travis, we, as, as I'm going to call us weekend warrior hunters, right? So got our jobs and, and, and we hunt here, there and everywhere when we can. And I, me and Scotty and, and Bill and that will put in a little more time than maybe your average weekend warrior, but we don't have the privy to the land to be able to put in food plots. Like I've done them. And I'm like begging the landowner, do you mind if there's a little spot over there? Can I have like, don't plant anything for like 10, 10 rows and I'll, I'm going to make a little, and you're like, well, what are you putting in my field? Let me read that bag. Let me look at it. But you as a farmer, you could actually get away with it, right? Because this is your land. You've, you've got the ability. Okay. Sorry, Bill. You go ahead. Cause I am jealous. No, yeah. You're right there. I mean, it, from, from a food, food plot, I've tried, I've uh, I hunt on uh 150 acres up north in the Ottawa Valley. And 
and we've tried a few food plots from time to time and, and not really had a whole lot of success with them taken. And my curiosity starts with what do you pl- plant? When do you plant? You know, pH levels of the soils, the importance of that stuff. How much of the size of a food plot do you need to be effective? So wondered if you could touch base because I, I, I heard you say you had done some things with even Ducks Unlimited to um, uh, for food plots and, and I guess for that's it but can you touch on that a little bit as a, yeah so a, i'll start out when uh when i when i first started doing them um you know i was working at an egg retail and, and i noticed our, our one cover crop supplier was 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 selling stuff for rack stacking so i'm like oh i was curious so i started reading up on it and i ended up purchasing a bag of what they call field edge and that's just a it's a it's a manual so it, it's basically what that means it's, it's once and done right you plant it once and it's not going to survive the winter um, which I think is important on, you know, agriculture land. You don't want to be bringing in uh, other species that can, you know, it will become a weed or a problem in, in the field. So I started out with that and I started just putting it in, you know, some small areas that, uh, you know, was flooded out at the corner of the bush or something like that, that, uh, that, that was always just like, you know, I never, I never get any grow there. So I'm like, all right, well, let me, I'll plant a food plot in there. And I, and they have some pretty good charts on timing and, and everything of that. So I, uh, looked at their charts and, uh, you know, I thought it was important that my food plot, I wanted it to be more of a, a late season forage for them. So when the crops come off, you know, the food's getting a little more scarce. They'll pick away at whatever's dropped in the fields. But, you know, when the snow starts dropping, you know, there's not a lot of food for them out there. So I planted, uh, I think it was late July I was planting that stuff. So that come December, um, you know, it was it was relatively green. And if it was snow covered, they were, they were still going at it. And it was amazed, like, uh, you know, where the snow was on top of this stuff, you could tell the deer were just at it almost every day. And uh, what, it was what a nice is, what is in that mix? The, the late season forage, is it miss Nebraska's and, and um, like, does it keep them there in, in the early and then uh, it, it germinates at different times or? Yeah. So I, it, uh, I planted it later, right? So a lot of uh, the staging is, is just, uh, you know, so many days to grow of growth and uh, it takes so many days to reach maturity of whether or not it was a brassics or if it was some radishes or stuff like that, that we were putting in. Um, so you can plant them springtime, but they'll come to full maturity or at the, the best stages a little bit earlier, kind of uh, September time frame. So I, I pushed to late July. So I, I knew that some of the stuff was just going to be a little more growthy and a little more at that stage where like to eat it kind of closer to December there, um, just yeah. to give them something to chew at. And they're eating that at all winter long, like, I was going back in February, March, and, you know, they're still digging up all that snow to get to this stuff. And I mixed some tillage radish in there, but a lot of it was some brassics. I think it was. Um, I can't quite remember off the top of my head on, on that specific blend. But, some of that yeah, stuff, I really like the... Sorry, some of that stuff goes, goes really good when it gets a frost on it. It turns that yeah. leaf into a, a sugary... Yeah. yeah, that's right. And you want to time your, your food plot planning, from my knowledge, uh, to... You're surprised I know this? Is no, this, no, is this no. I'm not surprised at all because I'm figuring your lifestyle, that you're probably out there fighting the deer for it to make yourself a salad to have with your tea. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, yeah. well, after a frost, I really enjoy my brassics yeah. and my my crushed radish. <laughs> it's, it's better for making tea yeah. and sandwiches out of Todd. There. I became I a deer hunter because the dark guys were eating my 
supper. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the food chain, right? You know, you feed the deer, you eat the deer, right? That's, That's it. it. That's I it. mean, uh, and I think it's a different, uh, it's a different world. We're in kind of southwestern Ontario where, I mean, you have probably the biggest amount of food plants out there. We got corn and soybeans and wheat sure. everywhere around here. Yeah. So, I mean, they have lots and lots of food. Um, available so, for them see, basically if once, once the beans start coming up they'll, the deer are chewing at them and they'll chew at them until they're basically ready to be harvested and the corn you know they'll they'll be eating the corn off the plants <laughs> I'm just walking around the farm a little rabbit right in front of me <laughs> yeah, sorry about that getting off topic but no uh, no it's all good yeah when I when I was planning on doing that I, I wanted something that was going to be late season for them I know when we're talking to guys kind of northern Ontario it's a different story, right? There's just not, not the food sources around there. So I think it's important in that situation to be using something that's maybe perennial. It'll be coming back every year. You know, you have a good, good four or five years life out of a food plot. Um, and a good mix there. See, um, and that's, I'm not too experienced with that, but, and that's what it is. Like we've never, it sounds like I'm bragging, but we've never really had to do food plots. I've only done food plots just because I want to try it and it, like the throw yeah. and grow. Right. So, and I didn't realize and until I started to get down that path, how much of a science it is. But in our area, now we've got an ethanol plant that's right 10 minutes from my house. And so it's corn city around here. And so really for a food, for us to have a food, we don't really need it. We got so many, so much land that we were able to hunt that the, the corn fields and it holds the deer in our area so much with all the corn that's, in fact, hunters in our area now complain so much because there's too much darn corn and they don't come out of the corn and they don't care to go eat on a, uh, on a food plot that somebody's taking the time to do because what do they care? They got oodles of corn everywhere. And so that's the biggest thing, but when you do these, Trav, are you doing like a, a throw and grow and, or is it like a, are you testing the soil for lime? Like you could do this cause you're a farmer dude. But when I do yeah. it, I'm like, you mean I got to test the soil for lime and then I got to go <laughs> buy lime and put like, this ain't happening to first. I got to work the land up. Like, well, that's yeah. it. And that's, yeah. uh, you know what, uh, uh, before you answer, Trav, a lot of, a lot of people that are listening to this aren't farmers and, and they, need to i for me personally i would love to know how i could do this without the equipment oh, i don't you, have an atv you gotta do I the ph a, just doing the ph levels of the soil right like it's it's insanity when you get into understanding planning that and and yeah like i'm with you don't have an atv i'm out there with a, a manual a hoe like our ancestors did and yep. <laughs> beating on the ground and, and i'll be honest i'll be honest with you guys i have never used a piece of equipment when i'm doing a food plot except really? for when i planted my trees in that project but you know, a lot of times I, I grab a grab a good rake and a hoe, and and I just go into those areas in the fields and and that are that are just drowned out or they're not growing. Um, I haven't done pH, uh, the pH testing in that situation because we do a pretty good job on our farms for that. But uh, that's an important part to talk about because pH is, is, has such a huge impact on what can grow and the nutrients available to to that crop. Um, again, in here, we're not quite as sensitive to it, but when I know when you grow up, go up north, I mean, you're in a whole different world with something that's never had anything like grown on the crop or anything. So yeah, like getting a pH test, you want to have that pH in the right range um, for the crop you're putting down. And that has a lot to do with uh, just the nutrients that are available through in the soil of that pH range. And for example, um, phosphorus is a pretty big, uh, pretty big nutrient around here for, for crops. And I know, you know, if you, if your uh, if your pH really starts to get out of whack, you can have availability issues there and your crop just is not in the soil being released that that crop can, can get to. 
Um, so you see a lot of guys up north, um, you know, testing out, uh, adjusting their pHs into a range. Um, you know, for crops, a lot of times it's six three to six seven, or six point three to six point seven. So, um, write that, that down, Bill. Then, yeah, come out of that Thank almost God. guy phase. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> what do, what do but, turkeys uh, like to munch on? Crops are like, like a higher pH, and so you got to really look at what. Uh, what food plot you're doing or what, what you have, what species you have in there to find the right range for that. And, um, you know, we're, we're in naturally acidic soils and the sands where they tend to tail off. We have to put a lot more lime down where, you know, up North, you may be into a, to an alkaline soil where, uh, where it just be a lot, is a lot higher than it, than it needs to be. You need to really work at bringing that down. Um, but uh, so you, you'd be planning on typical farmland soil in, in where you are. If if I'm yep. like I'm not mistaken, but like where I hunt up in the Ottawa Valley in Northern Ontario, right? So it, it, it's cedar bush. So if we had a cedar bush as an example, and it's not all cedar bush, but you clear out uh, a, a block of bush, or the uh, they did clearing of pine pine trees there. That soil is not for growing corn. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, not at all. That, that soil it grew uh, pine trees and has got uh, uh, years of of, uh, of those needles in the ground, and I'm sure. I just can't clean off a, a, a block of, you know, a 10 by 10 uh, section of land and then plant soil or plant the soil and expect it to, to grow, you know, crops, right? Yeah. So in that situation, I think, yeah, the most important part is, is the pH. And you want to make sure you're within a good range of your pH and, and do some adjustments if you need to. Um, fertility is a big thing, too, in, in, in areas like that that haven't had, you know, fertilizers going down. Um you know, simple as it can get, go buy some bag fertilizer, like a triple 16 or, or something like that with not a whole lot of nitrogen in it, you know, throw that down so that there's at least some nutrients available for the plants. Hmm. So I learned, and I've, I've learned it. Uh, you can tell you that you are a farmer that knows his stuff. <laughs> and you're, like, you're way past me. I'm like, well, wow, this all sounds great. Screw it. I'm never doing a food plot again. <laughs> you talk me plumb yeah. out of it. Thanks. Tra- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it, it is fun to, cause I've done it and it is fun to do and to see it come up. And then when you have deer, cause you put your trail camera over the food plot, like there's no ifs, ands or yeah. buts. That's what you're going to do. And the minute that you yeah. have, even if the deer was walking through it, you're like, there's a deer in my food plot. It worked. Yeah, yeah, it worked. There's a success there. Yeah. Um, so and you know you're getting really successful when they start dropping sheds in your food plot. That, that's okay. A great yeah. Right now there. I'm planting. Now, now we're talking. Now I'm planting. Now we're <laughs> food plot. Yeah. So is there? So, do turkeys come in and, and like? Is it still around come turkey season? Because you're not planting a perennial. Look at that. See that? I got perennial. No, no, a lot of that. Wow. I, <laughs> I haven't seen too many turkeys in there yet, but uh, yeah, good. To, he picked up on that too. Eh? He, he did. Perennial. I'm doing it. At perennial. That's three syllables, baby. I am up in my game. Travis, you have brought. <laughs> you're, you're, you're perfectly fit for food plots. <laughs> you have brought the Redneck Country podcast to a whole other level. We may have Bill with his tea sipping, salad eating kind of deal, but we weren't putting out three syllable words till you came That's off. <laughs> <laughs> okay <Yeah>. sorry <laughs> so so yeah so wow i didn't expect to be talking about food plots this is kind of wicked because I, I i don't know enough like like i said i've bought like a biologic throw and grow it grew um and and i believe scotty shot a deer in the food plot now full disclosure is 
where we put the food plot, Scotty shoots a deer there every year, whether there's a food <laughs> plot or not. <laughs> so, well, it depends on how you want to talk about the story, but uh, you know, yeah, hey, I, I, I put a food plot down and we shot a deer. Yeah, so, that's, hey, that's, that's, that's right. Deer. <laughs> so I've only done that. I haven't got, but I did look into it some years ago and was gonna, and I just thought, holy crap pH levels at the minute you said pH, I'm like, I remember my dad with his pool when I was younger, trying to keep it from the algae and having to go get it tested. And I'm like, you got to do that with so I'm out, I'm done. I So I did buy a throw and grow and, and we worked up the land, which again, manual labor, got to work up the land. So that's a double yeah. whammy. Uh, I, so you thought, I, I, can't, was... I can't see how that was going to go well with you at all <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> I, I think that's a, a great way to start out though with, with like a throw and go like that it's simple it's easy you know there's not a whole lot of prep work involved to it and, and i think that's a great way to start and get interested in it, similar to what i did and uh, you know i've gotten a little more in depth into it over the years i mean i'm not crazy like i'm not okay i'm doing all these things every year but uh, you know i want to keep make sure at least I can have some sort of winter forage for these deer. Um, sure. Keep them healthy during the year. I do uh, I do a few mineral stations um, a year, you know, keep those stocked up for them. That's been an interesting learning experience for me as well is the not necessarily the behavioral changes it's done on the deer on our properties, but maybe frequency of visits and how they're passing through has changed, right? I, I you know, we're, our farm has been a bit of a pass-through area for deer, um, some good bush around it, and uh, we have a creek on the one side. So I went halfway through, kind of where they'd always walk around our property. I put a food or I put a mineral station out in our property. They sort of walked around. They've been going to that mineral station and then going to get a drink of water out of the creek on our property. So it's kind of changed their their paths and and sort of how they've been traveling through which has been great for me. I see a lot more deer now because of that. Well, and it would hold yeah, them a little more too, right? Like we're not in the land of high fence, like down in the States where they got high fence farms and, and all that jazz. So you're, you're able now to do a little bit of, I'm going to, I'm going to make a plug on a, on a brand, but you're, you're able to do QDMA, like quality deer management on your land without the high feds, but you're pretty much doing that. You're going to keep them in the area because you've got food all year round. You've got the right habitat. You're now changing their paths and their habits so that they're going to walk by your tree stand. Like you are, you are the quintessential hunter. You say you've only been hunting for six, seven years, but my man, I am impressed. Like that is yeah. that, like, that's taken it. I always say turkey hunting, I keep for fun. And I'd never want to get that serious. And we screw around a lot. We'll screw up a lot of hunts, but we have a blast deer hunting. I'm the opposite. I'm way too technical, but I don't, I don't think I'm near as technical as you now with the, with the food plots and being able to re reroute their, their deer trail and everything. But sorry, Bill, I cut you off before I went on that. I just had to say that. Cause I, I, I am impressed. That's, that's deer hunting right there. That's dedication. Yeah, when I try to focus on the stuff where I can kind of have time to do it, right? I mean, I'll throw a plug at your last podcast where you are talking about the barometric pressures and, and that. I mean, I don't I don't get quite in-depth as you do on that by any means. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I looked at uh, barometric pressure when I was deer hunting. So that's, I, I, I would say you're, you're going really intense there, which is great. And it's something I, I'm going to pick up on and sort of pay attention to. A lot of what I do is, uh, is joking around with an old, uh, old co-worker of mine, big avid hunter. I've hunting for, you know, 40 years, and he was saying to me, he's like, Travis, if you're out driving around in the evening, you see a lot of raccoons or cats walking around, there's, there's deer moving at the same time. So that next morning is going to be a really good time to go hunting, because deer are on the move. A lot of times you see other animals have on the move like that. I don't know why, but, man, yeah. is he ever right. 
Yep. Moon phases, barometric pressure is on the yep. rise when it hits that 102. What I can't even, I don't, I have a document that I've created from, from a little bit of research that I, and I can't even remember the number, but I know Scotty's got it. Cause the minute that that barometric pressure hits a certain, and it's on the rise, I'm getting a message. We are going hunting, cancel everything you got. <laughs> We're heading out because <laughs> buck movement has been seen one-to-one ratio when the barometric pressure is at this number. And, uh, I'm going to look that up while, while we're talking. That's it. But, Let me yeah. ask you a question while you're looking that up. So if you are, based on what I'm hearing there, you're, you're the mineral stations, plots, uh, what do you refer to? Mineral stations, I guess. Is how you, yeah. How you yeah. Just, uh, so, I, I, I use a brand rock factor. I just, again, I've used that for years and I just, I've had success with it and I haven't changed it. Um, I've thrown at other ones and they seem to work just as well. But uh, I think he's done a good job at uh, having a good blend there. And I'll, I'll throw those down. And a lot of times I'll try to find some dead decaying logs, dump it on top of that, right? It's going to absorb into that into that wood, and then it's going to last a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'll even grab a pail of water and kind of slowly soak it into that, too, just to help it stay in there. Yeah, we've um, had some pretty good luck with, with, with uh, mineral stations up, up north. But my question was going to be, if you had to do one, if, if as a weekend warrior type hunter, and you've got uh, the deer going from bedding areas to food food areas. Your thoughts and your experience it would be the mineral stations would produce more of a pattern change and a, a patternable um, experience. Is that is that what what you would say? I, I I would say maybe yeah. I I would lean towards the mineral stations. Um, you know, again, if you're if you're not a landowner, um, you know, you're not the, some some of the landowners might not be you know, open to having planting the food plot, but the mineral station would be a good opening to that. Um, again, it's another source of, 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 you know, food or nutrition for, for that deer population. And, uh, and yeah, a lot of times, I mean, they're going to, you know, they're going to want to go to water afterwards, right? They've been drinking some salt and, you know, eating, you know, so that's where I found some success that way. And it's great for the trail cameras. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the sure. best thing to throw a trail camera on is right near Miller mineral station. And again, it creates some good pictures, and, you know, I try not to hunt directly over them. I try to just put them off in the area where I know they're passing through. So I'll either either have a stand in between the bedding area and the mineral station or in between the mineral station and the water source. Yeah. It's a good deal. I mean, that's the, that's the knowledge that we, we like to hear. I like to hear. I know Todd does, too, but different hunters, different experiences, and I know that we've – We've tried, uh, you know, everything from uh, the rack stacker product. I, I've tried myself. Honestly, I've tried a few others. We're, we're not sponsored by anybody uh, in particular, but we like to try good things and hear what everybody's using in different sections of Ontario because that's where we're all hunting. Uh, I hunt more northern Ontario. You guys are hunting uh, southern Ontario, and I'm anxious and interested to hear what's working in each individual area. So, and there's definitely commonality between products and, and times and that kind of stuff. So very interesting, very interesting. Yeah. No, it's, uh, and it's nice going off of, off of, off of that too, right? I mean, you, you might have something that, that works on in your area and it's not going to work at all in mine. You know, generally speaking, I don't think you can do any harm at all. Um, throwing in a mineral station or something like that, right? Salt licks. I mean, I, I started with those and, you know, I start burying them six inches underground and the deer would just be digging at them. They all seem yeah. to work. No doubt. I haven't, yeah. uh, I haven't tried out putting two next to next and seeing which one gets more action. It's just, I think the important thing is just having that, uh, that nutrient down for him. My dad, he, uh, he had, uh, anode rods that came out of his, uh, his hot water tank and, and the rods or the, the salt on the bottom of the tank, 
he he put onto a log to see what uh, what it would do. And I tell you what, the deer absolutely destroyed that log from the natural whatever was coming out of out of the the ground that got filtered into his hot water tank ruined the hot water tank but it you know helped the deer population around <laughs> yeah okay i've got it and you it, got it i got it because i saved this article waiting to see how long professor google would take to make <laughs> yeah, well, that happen i was biting my tongue because I, I had it for a bit but it, it's outdoor life from 2011, I saved this article. I just had to go through my server to find it up. But it was the gentleman that wrote this had asked, Jim Nelson is his name. He was an editor for a writer for Outdoor Life. But he asked everybody to send in their trail camera pictures with proper time and date stamps in, in that year. And then he put it all together. And then he went and he compared it to the barometric pressures on each day at any given time. And so he did, he was able to chart it all out. And the, the number one, you always would see does move a lot more than bucks, bucks, big, lazy, whatever. And so the ratio was always more does than there were bucks. And, and obviously population dictates the same, but he says it was a staggering one-to-one when the barometric pressure is between 29.8 and 30. And so in Canada, we measure that differently. That's in, in, in inches or whatever the heck they call it, INs, whatever I I say inches, but whatever it is, uh, so it, I, it equates to two whatever. But anyway, that's what you need to know. Twenty nine point eight to thirty is one to one ratios, and that's when the you're going to see bucks start to move. So that pressure, it, whatever it is, just drives animals insane. Where they just gotta they gotta get up, they gotta get moving. Well, I'm gonna write that that number down on my kitchen counter. Twenty nine point eight. 29.8 to 30 is where 29.8 to 30. Yeah. And then there's another sweet spot. Right they say at 30, 30.2 to 30.3 is another, but it is not, it is not where the bucks move, but the buck movement is the biggest at 29.8 to 30. When the, when the barometric pressure is right there, it is, it's massive one-to-one ratio. That's awesome. 29.8 to 30. I remember that one for sure. So, yeah. So the minute it hits that, Scotty, he's all over me. We got to go. Let's go. <laughs> like, all right. We're gone. Well, this is awesome. I love the fact we went all through the food plots because it's not something that we would typically ever talk about. And we never planned that either, did we, Travis? It was just like, hey, No, not at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was asking you, I'm like, hey, Todd, is there anything I should, you know, you want any talking points? You're like, hey, man, we're just going to wing it. Yeah, um, that's, and, and that's great. I said that because then you were going to get all hungry because, yeah, um, you said you get off on some some tucks and toggins. Bob, yeah, Bill, uh, that's fine with me. Bill hates that too. <laughs> <laughs> I bring it up often that that's our Bill's the yin, yin to my yang, where I live out of my clothes in front of the dryer, where he is the minute his dryer goes off, he's got to fold and put them away. That's our part, and it dry. He will, okay, what are we going to talk about this week? Yeah, can yep. we make some points? We, and he's constantly just cut it. I'm like, Bill, if you want, I, I will. We'll, we can point form it out. And then I, we, I, I ignore him until Wednesday when we record often. <laughs> we never I try. Get. I try to say we were talking about what we nah. Anyway, I, and you know what? A hundred times out of a hundred so far, it's worked out. Well, you know, like <laughs> without any point for it, it, it doesn't do anything. Yeah, it doesn't do anything for my OCD levels or, or anything like that. My anxiety levels, 
But I tell you what, his formula seems to be working, and I hope everybody who's listening can can uh, can can say that they're enjoying it. And his uh, lack of planning seems to work. So. <laughs> We're all about personal growth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So yeah, this worked out great. So I, I, in the essence of stealing all your time, Travis, because I, I I don't know if you got to hang up on us, hang up on us. But by all means, no, no worries. When, I said I'm just out walking some soybean fields right now, so this works perfect. That's awesome. So I I initially said uh, if you would give us one of your doesn't have to be your best doesn't have to be your worst or whatever your most memorable whatever you your best hunting story and if you could break it down like and the whole reason we do these is that like you said when the way that i learned to hunt was listening to my dad and his buddies and all the old guys at hunt camp tell the same stories now they told the same ones year after year at lunchtime like my dad will tell you nonstop if you even walk with them through the way yeah i remember a time but it'll be the same stories but they beat into your head so when you're standing in the tree stand you're like oh i'm getting bored wait a minute this was the time that this happened to dad i should be i should be cognizant of this i should watch for this or watch for that and and so it kind of inbred in you and and that's how i've learned to hunt is now i call on all those stories so that's kind of why we like to tell the stories but by all means no pressure on on anything other than whatever your your favorite hunt was your most memorable or just your recent whatever you want to tell us and just with enough detail that we could kind of pick something out of it and uh, i mean i've already learned so much i've learned that i'm not going to do food plots because i don't have the patience for ph (laughs) balance and and we've learned that bill does like his brassic salads but uh but aside from that what is your you, whatever hunting story you want to tell, I'll hand it over to you. I might even mute my mic. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, that's a lie. I'll try to mute <laughs> my mic. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I guess one of one of the ones I've learned a lot off of. Uh, you know, so two years ago I started getting this really really big buck showing up in my trail cameras. Um, and a lot of that had to do with bringing him in with uh, with the minerals and everything like that. But I mean, he was showing up on the regular a lot of times at night. But I mean, he was there consistent. So uh, I, I know where I've been catching them on two different trail cameras, and uh, I wasn't having any luck in the one spot, but I have to be very careful hunting the one side of our property because it, it, it needs to be an east wind. If, if the gully's on the east side of me there, I've got to come in when it's be in there when the wind's coming out of the east, and which happens quite rarely. Um, you know, you don't get that very often. So finally had a night where uh, the wind was right. You know, I'm like, okay, perfect. I'm, uh, I'm going to go hunting. And then my wife calls me and says, oh, by the way, our friends are coming over for dinner. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I stayed home for dinner, and uh, I, I snuck out afterwards kind of late. Uh, got into my spot, uh, tree stand kind of right at the edge of a gully again. Actually, the same, uh, only right near the same area. I got that one big book back in 2015. I was sitting there, and I was hearing some stuff crashing around. A couple of those ran through. And then I, uh, I kind of heard something up on the ridge across from me, about 100 yards. And I see the silhouette of just a body. And I'm like, man, that's a, that's a good size deer. So I start waiting around, and then uh, and he starts walking down the hill. And the first thing I remember seeing is just a rat. And I mean, it's big. And, at and he that, just comes trotting down this hill. At that point in time, your heart, yeah. that's all you're hearing is that. Thump, thump, thump. Yeah. Right. So this thing walks directly into a clearing 30 yards from me. I'm shaking already. I mean, it's not like, you know, buck fever after shoot a buck. I am shaking in this tree. <laughs> going, holy. 
man, this is right here. I'm going to get a shot. Okay, calm down, Travis. I'm talking over you. <laughs> I've done that. Breathe, Todd. You know, Breathe. You don't have a heart attack. You've got to answer the 180 years here, Just don't do anything stupid. Just calm down and just wait. <laughs> so I got him. He's in this clearing, and uh, he's 30 yards, trying to stand there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start bringing up my bow. And I can't get a shot at this thing. What? See, okay. I cannot, let me let me let me look, pause there. Little thicket. So, are you saying it was like a hundred and eighty inch animal? Is that what you you said it was? I. It, it's big. I mean, he's well, well, well past his years. See, um, okay. Dog trail camera pictures of him. He's big. So this is. I always say this to Scott. I went and people are telling me stories. And no, I'm not going to slight you. Uh, well, I, I may. Wait, you can't punch me because you're not here right now, which that's why I like these podcasts. But <laughs> anyway, so uh, I always say to Scott, I hear stories. It's like I, I got a buddy that says, oh, I had a monster come in 15 yards behind me, but I couldn't get a shot. I'm like 15 yards at 15 yards. I'm letting that arrow go. I'm praying it's if it's that big of an animal, it's going to puncture whatever the flips between me and it. And I'm laying it down. I don't care. I will take my my yeah. chances. So at 30 yards, you got this monster and are you got a is it a crossbow yeah it's crossbow it's and, like, and a yeah. crossbow so at 30 yards you couldn't get a shot he was in thicket now i i say all I that i tried it, it came out and he was in the clearing and i was just you know there's some twigs in the way i didn't quite clear enough shooting lanes that direction right because he was almost not off behind me but off to the side right so i'm lining up and i can't i can't i can get the crosshairs on him i just can't see enough clear right it's just not quite clear enough so i'm waiting him out and he's just standing there for, I, I felt like it was half an hour. Turns out it was about four minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you're trying. But and I've been there. there. And I was the point where I switched to left-handed with the crossbow, and I made, I made a point to always practice with my left hand when I'm shooting just in case something like that happens where you can't get over far enough in the tree. So I, I, I switched to left, and I'm, um, and I'm standing up in my stand at this point, being as quiet as I can. I'm leaning out to the left a little bit, leaning out, kind of <laughs> crouching. And I got nothing. I cannot find a hole to get through this, to get through this deer. Yeah. And, uh, I've been there. So I, I'm it. just sitting there. I, I, at one point, I, climbed, I, I stepped down on a, a rung on my ladder, and I mean, just nothing. So four minutes, which felt like half an hour of that, and eventually he just... I was throwing grunts, trying to get him to just, just do something, right? He was just standing there. And then he wanders back up the hill, and he's gone. And then about 10 minutes later, he comes back to the ridge, and that's, that's as far as I got him. And that was the last time I got to see him that year. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, you so never like, got I just, him? I, could not speak. I never got him. Um, uh, you know, I, I wish I could tell you I don't know how you feel, but I'm the almost guy, right? Bill is I'm the almost, I know exactly the almost guy, Tom. Yeah, so Welcome I've had club, that. I, I'm chirping you, Travis, but honestly, I've had the same thing. Where And the reason now, the, the first four years, like I said, it was tough for me to get a deer in front of me, but it was also I was trying to get that perfect shot. And so I, yeah. I've done it lots. And, and now with my black powder, I do not hesitate. If they're within range, yeah. I'm taking the shot. I will punch it through thicket and crap with my bow. I've done it. And then you forever, forever are wondering, you know, if, if I'd have launched that arrow, would it have got through? Could I have found a spot yeah, where I'm not looking? And the whole time that you have that buck at 30 yards and you went down a rung, you are like in panic mode because it could see you. It could hear you. Like, yeah. that's freaking close. And I've done that, too. And, and to be honest, the biggest buck I've ever had in front of me 
It was, and I can't believe I'm going to share this because like I, I just shared the story where I chirp people that go, well, I had it at 20 yards and I'm like, just punch through it. I had, he, he crossed below me along the crick edge at 80 yards early in bow season. And I called and rattled and he came around and he knew what he was doing. And he was, he's the biggest buck I've ever seen. I bet you he was 180 plus. And he came up around behind me from the bottom of the crick bed. And I'm up on a side hill and came in not 15 yards behind me, but maple tree. And it was early season. All the leaves were still on. And I could see his eyeball. I could see his nostrils. I was already turned around. I was at full draw and I'm doing the hula dance with my bow at full draw, standing backwards in my stand, trying to find a hole to punch this arrow through. And let me tell you, the reason I always chirp and say that is because I couldn't find one. He ended up blowing and running and I'd never seen him again, not even on a trail camera. And my, my issue was that it was just maple leaves. My arrow at 15 yards would have went through freaking maple leaves. Todd, what is your problem? Honestly, I would have passed. You would have, eh? You know, I I, I I would have. Ten times out of ten. Honestly, ten times out of ten in that situation, I've been in it where I can't see uh, a clear shot at the vitals where I think that that arrow is going to go through. And I'm too worried about the deflection of the arrow, even though I'm shooting a crossbow. Uh, when I was shooting compound or shooting crossbow, I'm too worried about that that deflection, even a little bit going off target, and having to do the eight hour, three hour yeah. overnight chase. I hear you. I've done it. it. You know, for me, I don't need to meet that bad. I love the meat. Don't get me wrong, but I'm gonna pass on that, and, and hopefully, I didn't uh, spook the animal, and I get a chance at it the next time. Yeah, I mean, my, I would, my heart would break if I if I had an animal like that and I took a shot and didn't get it. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's the last thing we all want as hunters and outdoors women and enthusiasts to do that. I mean, Dr. Todd, you know, you didn't take that shot, and you know, you have a lot of respect for that animal, that caliber, right? You you, were, you waited, you couldn't do it. You, you could have shot and maybe you know maybe gut winged them or something, but you had a lot of respect for that animal in that, in that instance there, which is just great to hear. You know, just, well, the margins will show that you're just not 100% confident, so you don't take it. Let me tell you, we all want. every one of my tree stands now has no brush within 50 <laughs> yards all the way around the frickin' I, uh, I can attest <laughs> to that. I actually went and moved that stand 20 yards and into a better clearing and into that hole. <laughs> the next year. Like, I'm like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I can't have this happen again to me. You got her. You know, yeah. that, and I haven't had the chance in there. I, I had a few run-ins with him uh, this year during uh, the first muzzleloader hunt. Um, a couple close calls, um, just, just couldn't, couldn't get it to happen. But yeah, I mean, the, the nice part was, is that that animal still, was still walking last fall. And I had the, you know, the, was fortunate enough. He was, uh, he was pretty frequent and I got to watch him through the soybean field all year. So he's so still alive. Sitting there. So this he was last year. The saga I continues. I hope so. It, it, I, I hope it does. Cause, uh, what I've learned off that deer, it's not going, it hasn't gone far in two years. That's awesome. Well, now I'm I'm pumped so, again. That's wicked. So yeah, yeah. If I get some more pictures of him, maybe I'll, I'll text you a few of those to show you him. But yeah, he uh, he was big two years ago, and he just grew in mass and width. Um, you know, for for 2019 season there, and you know, hopefully he's around. I've had a couple early on in velvet, kind of a month ago. I checked, and I've had a couple couple nice solid deer coming. You know, growing with velvet. So that uh, hopefully 
maybe one of them's him. I don't know. Well, I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm, I am impressed beyond belief that you've only been hunting for six, seven years. You say, and this much intelligence on food plots, on, on your camera, on where to hang your stands, on getting big animals, watching big animals. My gosh, dude, it's like, we're talking to a pro hunter from that's been hunting for like 40 years. It's like we got Travis Shockey on the line. Like I, I, I got to tell <laughs> I don't think I'm quite that caliber. Well, I, I honestly, and I didn't know, like, I know you from setting up the big buck contest or the, the show and the, and the frow contest there that they have. And that's, that's really the, the only way I know you. And now having this conversation, I feel like I know you so much better, but that's crazy because when we had this, it was just like, yeah, share your favorite story. And dude, like you're, that's top notch. I am super impressed. I really am. It's you had a good it, time to me. Yeah, this was awesome. I learned so much. That's like, that's so wicked. Well, that's what's great about stuff like this. I mean, I've, I've picked up a lot off of both of you, and I hope we can have further conversations, you know, you know, tell some more hunting stories in the future and just learn off of each other. I mean, because I'll be honest with you, like, I, get, I try to get as much experience out in the field as I can, but a lot of what, I, what, I've, what I've learned has been off of, you know, fellow hunters and, and outdoorsmen like that, you know, always talking, always learning, always asking questions, I think, I think it's the most important thing to do. And, and I think with, uh, with all of us in this sort of community is we all like, we all love it, right? We all love talking to other people, hunting stories oh, and talking gosh. about what's working and what doesn't. And, and honestly, I, you know, we learn a lot more, I think from failures than we do success stories. I couldn't agree more. That's true. <laughs> you know. That is, that is the truth. Unfortunately, it is the truth. But no, that's awesome. Yeah. That was some good stories. A good conversation. Really appreciate you coming on, Travis. Really do. Oh, anytime. Really, really, really wicked. So you're, are you doing the the big buck? Uh, do you know yet if you're doing a, a big buck next year, next spring? You know what? We're hoping to. We just, we know with the whole COVID situation, oh, we don't geez, know. Yeah. Really, we, we, had to, we had to cancel our fair this year. Um, uh, tough decision, but it's, uh, you got to keep the community safe and, and, you know, so that's uh, what we're going to have to do. If, uh, if things get a little better, we might uh, might do some sort of event that uh, at a small capacity, maybe like a drive-in movie for everybody or just something to give back to the community, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So we're, we're, we're brainstorming, but, yeah, for now, the, the fair is off till next year. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be planning the, the Buck Show again if, uh, you know, if the rules allow us to and if, and if we're all – if things are going to be safe to do so. Yeah, I think but, uh, uh, Big Buck Shows are the new norm. Isn't that the wording? It's the new normal. Yeah. <laughs> you got no option. Right. The, yeah, we have one every weekend. It's the new norm. <laughs> no, that's awesome. All right. Well, appreciate you coming on, Travis. Really do. And uh, yeah, Bill, Bill, I appreciate you guys having me on here. It's, uh, you know, great podcast. And I love listening to stuff like this. And I spend a lot of time in the tractors listening to stuff like this. And, and, so <laughs> I never I even thought of that. Yeah. To be on here. No, hey, happy we anytime. can entertain and educate. Happy we can entertain and educate. Yeah, and if I, if I can leave with one one closing remark, oh you heck know, yeah! Um, a lot of times, you, you know, luck's a big part of what we do in hunting, right? You know, you got to get lucky sometimes. Uh, I think speak the more work speak you put for yourself, time, Travis. Speak for yourself. It's it's all <laughs> talent <laughs> over. Thing, maybe a lot of, the more work <laughs> you put in ahead of time, and uh, and you know, the harder you work at it, and the more you set up, and if you're hunting smarter and stuff like that, you need a little bit less at the end of the day. You know, That's right place, right, right time, and yep, a lot of it's like that. You know, if, you, if you're in the deer, eventually you're going to see something. Big, you know, you know, you got to keep pushing like that. And, you know, I can tell you millions of stories of nothing happening. Like, there's no one out not seeing a deer. And, uh, but yeah, it's just, you got to sometimes just make sure you're setting stuff up properly. Hunt smart. Nope. Play the wind. Absolutely. Very well said. Yeah. yeah. It's the, the intelligent side of, of hunting. 
And uh, sometimes I got to turn that off so I can enjoy it a little bit more. But yeah, with deer, you can't ever turn it off. You got to be, you got to continue up your game. Yep. So no, appreciate you coming on, Bill. Thanks, my man, as usual. Until next week. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, Travis. Take care. Okay, that'll do it for today. So until next time, uh, on behalf of Redneck Country Podcast, I'm Bill Tom. I'm Todd Millard. And Scott Goodall? Nope, I'm good. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) If you want to be part of the podcast, by all means, hit us up at podcast at theredneckcountry.com. Again, that's podcast at theredneckcountry.com. And be part of it. Join us and have a blast. I hope you enjoyed it. Sitting around the campfire having some fun. (laughs) 